0: Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Then He said to His disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. Which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will He clothe you, O you of little faith? And I do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus, in this passage, asks us not to worry, not to be anxious. In some translations it says, take no thought. Either way, it's talking about feeling anxious and worrisome about something. And I think the reason he says that is because anxiety will eat your lunch. If you don't know what I mean by that, maybe you've never had anxiety. But anxiety is this overwhelming feeling that things are not right that you have to do something about the moment because you feel like everything's falling apart, no matter how minor or how big the thing is, it all feels life-threatening. That's what anxiety is. And Jesus is talking about, don't do that. (laughs) Some of us say, well, I'd like to not do that. I'd like to not have that problem. Well, what's interesting about our lives is that there are moments. We, we think back in our lives, especially about our mothers, and we, we think about moments. Moments that mattered to us. Moments that defined who we are and who that relationship was with us and our mothers in that relationship. Those moments sometimes are called defining moments. Sometimes it's one act that, that defines all the rest of the relationship or the rest of your life. People have defining moments in their lives beyond just relationships where all of a sudden they step up and and become famous for doing something and they remember that person for that one thing for the rest of their life. For an example, in uh, 1974, a man named Henry Aaron, hammering Hank Aaron, hit his 715th home run to pass Babe Ruth. From that point on, that was his defining moment and nobody thought of him as a person but as the guy who hit 715 home runs to take the lead from Babe Ruth. Now, you say, well, what's so important about that? It's because we're more than those moments. But those moments help us understand who we are. They help us give value and purpose to our lives. And I I say that to you because those moments are crucial. If those moments didn't give us purpose and meaning, then I would have to agree with Solomon in Ecclesiastes with what he says. He always says uh, everything's vanity, that it doesn't really matter. And he says, um, "...what is it for a man in all his labor and for striving of his heart, with which he has toiled under the sun?" For all his days are sorrow, and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. And when he says that, he's talking about how we work and work and work, and somebody else, when we die, gets all the benefit of our labor. And he said, what 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 good is that? What good is it to spend all this time working for something, and, and, and then when we're gone, nobody remembers us? Those moments we spend are gone. And, and, and what he's saying here in the context is if there is no God, if that God is not eternal and does not invite us into an eternal relationship with Him, then everything we do on this earth is going to be done and gone and forgotten a few generations from now, if not just one. And that's kind of sad, isn't it? And Solomon spends... 12 chapters talking about that. And he says it's all vanity. If you see in chapter 3, the most quoted passage, for everything there's a season, he talks about all those seasons, but in the end of that he says, but after we're gone, those seasons don't matter anyway. So you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die. And we will be no more. And that's one of the greatest struggles I have in my own personal faith, is wondering, in in eternity, will I know who I am? Will I know I'm me? Or will I lose my identity? And I don't know the answer to that. I do know that we know who Jesus is, and He died and rose again. And we know who Lazarus is, because He died and rose again, and He was still Lazarus. And we know that Jesus, in the Gospels, talks about the rich man, and Lazarus, communicating in the afterlife. And they knew who their children were and who each other was. So maybe, just maybe, we have that identity. But if we don't have that identity, what are the moments of our lives worth? When we give ourselves to something and say we're working for a great cause, but it's all for no God, what does it matter when we're gone? I left a legacy, but I'm gone. I don't get to see that. And Solomon even says, we work hard, but we never get to see what people do with our work later when we're gone. What do they do with it? Did they destroy it? Do they build on it? Mock it? And, And that kind of thinking makes him say, everything's vanity if there is no God. It really doesn't matter. Because no matter how you live your life, you're no longer anything. Not even a memory after a while. And that makes me uncomfortable. But he says, that is Solomon, in chapter 12, the great conclusion of the matter. And he says, when he's finished with it, the last two verses, he says, this is the conclusion. He spends all these verses, and he says, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And and he, and he, and He wants us to know that everything we do has meaning, significance. If these moments don't matter, then none do. But if one does, they all do. Hear me. If one moment matters in eternity for us with God, then they all matter. If none matter, it doesn't matter at all. But if one does, they must all. Because God has a purpose for each moment of our life. He has a plan and a purpose and an idea of what should go on for us. When Jesus starts talking about do not worry, be anxious, or take a thought of all these things and moments in your life, He's saying God has a plan in place. It's bigger than even those moments (coughs) that there's something driving us to God's purposes in life. Which is why He says, seek first the kingdom of God, and the rest of the stuff, God will take care of. Now, I don't know about you, but when Jesus tells me not to worry, I keep thinking He's out of touch with reality. Everybody worries. But did you know, in the Scripture, worry and fear are kind of synonymous. Because fear and worry Go hand in hand. You won't worry about something you're not afraid of, of an outcome or or a result. And yet the phrase most often repeated in Scripture, as a matter of fact, 365 times, do you know this? One for every day of the year is do not fear. Be not afraid. 365 times that phrase is repeated. Why? Because that's what we do. So when Jesus says, do not worry, and in 365 places it says, don't be afraid, because He knows we're going to worry and be afraid, why is He saying that? It almost seems like He's giving us an impossibility. And look, He makes it even worse. He doesn't just say, don't worry. He says, first of all, consider the ravens. They don't sow nor reap, and they don't have a storehouse, and yet God feeds them. And you're more valuable than them. So why are you worried about that? And he talks about the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin. And yet Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, was not even clothed as gloriously and in as much splendor as them. And they're here today and gone tomorrow. So how can you worry about that if God clothes the lilies of the field? But in the midst of this, he throws this statement. Matthew doesn't have it when he talks about it. But he says this, Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? One or other translations actually say, Which of you by worrying can add an hour to the length of their life? I like where it says one cubit to your stature. And and then he says this, And this this is why it's um, so, so powerful a statement. He says, if you're not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Now, what he just said is, which of you by worrying can add 18 inches, which is a cubit, to your height? And he said, that's easy. Now, if you can't do that, then why are you worried about the other stuff that's hard? And he's saying the hard stuff is feeding yourself, clothing yourself, uh, sheltering yourself. And I'm thinking, God, I think He's got the hard stuff on the wrong thing, Because it seems to me it would be very easy to get a bite to eat and very hard to get 18 inches tall. But listen to what Jesus is saying. When you were born, I'm guessing, by the height of the babies with us today and the toddlers, that they weren't five foot or six feet tall, which most of us now are. Some of us, by grace, are taller. Some of us, maybe a little shorter than that. But nonetheless, we're no longer, what's that, 22 inches or so? 18 inches? Some babies, 16? Somewhere along in there, it's about 16 to 22, 23 inches of the normal length for a child born. And yet, later in life, they're not that height, are they? I was 17 and a half inches long. I'm not 17 and, they say long. I don't know why they say that when you're born. I'm not 17 and a half inches, or I'm not five foot six inches long right now, or five foot eight, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm that tall. So why they say babies are that long? I guess because they can't stand yet. If you measure them from their height, they're on their back, they're about that tall. <laughs> Because of the size of their head. But I never understood why they call them that long. It's actually that they're that tall. So regardless. From that point, eighteen inches or so in height, which I was born, I've added, or God has added, four more feet. How'd that happen? I I don't know how I did it. But I did it. I grew four more feet since I was born. I did it. I didn't have to worry about it though, did I? Now, wait a minute. He's saying that what he's talking about was a natural growth process from birth to adulthood. And yes, he is. But by worrying, can you make yourself grow taller? Can you? No. So how do you grow taller? What happens to make a person grow taller from a baby to an adult? What do they do? They just keep living, eating, drinking, doing normal activities of life. They don't go... You don't do that to make yourself grow. You did that to stretch Armstrong when I was a kid. You know, you make him grow, but he's still shrunk back in. Y'all don't remember him, apparently. (laughs) You do? Okay. Good. Uh, But what I'm saying is, that adding to our height is what he's talking about. That 18 inches when I was born to when I was three feet tall was another cubit. I didn't worry... I didn't think about it. It just happens. And Jesus said, this is easy. Because you don't have to do anything about it. Just keep living your life. You're going to grow. You didn't have it. It just happened. And you didn't have to worry about it. Now some of us, before we hit our growth spurt, might have worried a little, but we still didn't make ourselves grow by doing it. We didn't. We just kept living. Do you understand now what Jesus is saying is, which of you by worrying caused yourself to grow from a baby to an adult? And that's easy. It's easy because you didn't have to do anything about it. And Jesus says, the hard stuff is the eating and clothing yourself. Because that is not a natural part of growing. It's a natural part of living. But if God... In according to Scripture, it says, God gives the increase. We're talking about in faith and also in life. God gives increase. That any time you have grown, God has given it to you. Whether it be in faith or physically. And in those moments, when you have grown physically, you didn't do anything about it, it just happened. In faith, in your confidence in who God is. Your faith has grown by interacting with a loving God in moments. And you've come to believe that Jesus Christ is who He revealed Himself as, have begun to believe in Him as your Lord and your Savior, the King of your life, and you're gradually moving into a relationship where He's Lord and you just listen and do. This is what we do as believers. Those Steps into deeper confidence in that are the moments. The first moment is when you surrender all at the altar and give your heart and life. As you grow and you go through trials and faith is tested, those are the moments that build that confidence in that relationship. We've had a lot of those moments here since October where it's increased my faith tremendously. Yesterday morning we were praying for a friend of mine who he and his wife are trying to have children and physically there's some issues that make it a one in a million opportunity or maybe even more rare than that, a one in a million percent chance. At at best. And we're praying for him and I'm going i got to pray for him and, and, I'm, and I'm not sure that God's going to do it. And do you know what came to my mind? It was John Watt. John Watt's healing. That's what came to my mind. And it was uh, Brenda's healing. And it was the things that we've seen happen here. And as soon as I said, God, you've done bigger than this. It was Jackie's healing. All that came to my mind when I prayed, I said, God, I know You can do this. I've seen it. And in that moment yesterday, my faith built up. It got stronger. And I did not worry about my friend because I knew God could do it. Well, He couldn't. Doctors can't. But faith in Christ has made us well. And that can do it. And I know this without a question. And so when we begin to live out our lives day by day, we get to be anxious, and it starts, as I said at the beginning, it starts to eat our lunch. It means it begins to take away the things that matter to us. It begins to question what's valuable in our lives. And isn't it funny that Jesus says, Don't worry about what you will eat, and I'm saying anxiety will eat your lunch? <coughs> Think about that for a moment. Jesus says, God will take care of you. But if you don't believe in God, and you don't have that loving, trusting relationship, that sounds crazy. <laughs> and you say, well, you, well, I've seen a lot of people believe in God and they're hungry. They're starving death. How is it you can say that? And we have all these doubts for why God won't do what Jesus says for us to let Him do. But there's a catch all in here. There's something very important to understand. It says that if we seek His kingdom and His righteousness, all these things will be added. But what things are they? The things that we need to complete God's purpose in our life, the byproducts of faith, if you will. When we're out doing ministry for Jesus, or we're living our life, eating and sleeping and things like that are just natural parts of the process. They are not the end goal. I love that we have organizations that want to feed the world and the hungry, but that's not the end goal of faith is to feed the hungry. The end goal of faith is to bring them into a salvation relationship with Jesus Christ so that when this life is over they have hope for the next so how in the world can Jesus tell us not to be anxious? I'll tell you how. Here's what he says worrying is about the future. It's not about right now. Very rarely is. It's what might happen or what's going to happen. Or we're anxious about something that could happen, probably going to happen. And we just fill our mind with these thoughts. But Jesus is trying to tell us something very clear. Stay present in right now. My wife is trying to share that about the experience with your mother. If you still have her with you, enjoy the right now. Don't live well, one day she's going to be gone, so I'm all free, but enjoy the right now. Think about the joy and the love right now. This is the moment. Because God is that you carry into eternity. You can't take a later moment you're afraid of into eternity because it most likely won't turn out the way you think it will. But this moment, live fully present and understand that in this moment God manifests Himself. God is here now. He reigns right now. He doesn't reign someday. He reigns in the present moment. He's the God of the present, which is stated as, I am. Meaning, continuous present. For those English teachers, that's a verb form too. The God is here, and will be, and will be here, in the next moment. But to enjoy and understand who God is, you must experience Him now. Not later. You can't love God later. You can only love Him in the moment. Do you understand? Jesus is saying, what we worry about is later stuff. Start living right now for the God who loves you by seeking His kingdom and righteousness, which is present and among you and with you right now. And I think I figured a way to share that with you on how you can do that. God is asking us to stop living for selfish reasons, selfish motives. Simply what He's saying. That each moment is bigger than you. If God doesn't exist, then Solomon's right. You might as well eat drink, and be merry because you're taking care of yourself and whatever else happens happens. But since God is real, this moment isn't about just me. This moment is about us. This moment is about you. This moment is about what God's doing right now and how can I help him do that. This moment isn't about trying to take care of number two. It's about taking care of number one. It's about letting the light shine wherever I go, wherever you go, to be the light, to be one. It's not about, well, I got to eat first. (laughs) Do you get this? In eternity, that won't matter, whether you ate or not, what will matter is whether you loved others or not. In the moment. And in the moment, you have the choice. I have a story I want to share with you that brings this home for me. I can't tell you whether or not this actually happened, but in my mind it did. In January of 2009, My wife was diagnosed with cancer. My mother was also life-flighted from where she was in Florida to Tampa Bay. We thought she had a stroke. A few days later, we learned my mother had been suffering for quite some time with brain cancer. They told us she didn't have much time. She ended up going to St. Louis, flying her there, and she spent the last days in hospice care at my sister's house in St. Louis. We got to spend a last good week of her life with her during the ice storm that year. Y'all remember that? We didn't have any power for a long time. They had power in St. Louis. No power, power, easy choice, go to the power. So we went there and we got our last good week of her life. After that, she pretty much didn't know what was going on for the day she passed. On the day she died, which was my wife's birthday, we also knew by then that my wife was cancer free. They had surgery and the cancer was 100% gone. No more cancer. Now I have to believe, I don't know if this is true, but I have to believe this, that God gave my mother an option. When she was diagnosed with cancer, I believe she prayed. My mother praying, woman. Beautiful soul. Loved me more than probably anybody else in this world. And I believe, when she got her cancer, that God proposed something to her. Because during that time, I also met my wife. Didn't know that she had cancer then. It went undiagnosed until six weeks, eight weeks before she died. But I believe that there was a moment where she had the choice and she saw how wonderful my wife was and how well my wife loved me. And all my mom prayed for was her son to be happy. To find someone who would love him as much as she did if possible. And I believe that that moment that God put something in motion through her spirit talking to His spirit and back and forth, saying, His wife's going to have cancer. It's going to take their life. And He can't pray about out, And the doctors won't be able to take it out. I believe my mother said, Take me in. My son's happiness is more important to me than my life here on earth. If you can do something, do it. And when she died on my wife's birthday, I believe that's what happened. That she gave her life for hers. Now, do you understand, if my mother had been selfish and that choice would have come, she would have said, Well, He's found someone that loves him, but I'll be around, I'm his mother, and nobody can love him like me. But she wasn't selfish. Those moments she took were not for herself. She learned to love. Not to think about what am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, but what does God want now from me? What matters most to me right now? And my mother, I believe, said, I will take this moment to see my son's happiness before I die it's worth my life to me I believe that I can't guarantee you that's what happened but for her passing on my wife's birthday it makes sense to me and I believe if God has a sense of justice and holiness and righteousness that he heard her prayer because it wasn't selfish she was seeking God's kingdom His righteousness. And all the rest that she worried about, which was her son's happiness, he would add to it. Now maybe that doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think, well, I don't know how that could have worked out. I don't either. But I do know this, that we each have a moment today to think about our mothers, to be with people who care about us, the people we care about. And we can either make it about us or we can make it about them and loving God. And God at the end of time says in this last verse on the screen, Glenn has it up there, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. If you live for yourself, your treasure will die with you. But if you live for God, your treasure will be with him in eternity. The Serenity Prayer says this God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Taking one moment at a time, living one day at a time. Taking this world as Jesus did, not as I would have it, so that I might be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with Him forever in the next. But in that serenity prayer, it says, taking one moment at a time. That's the only way you can truly live without anxiety is to see that in this moment you have enough. that! In this moment, you have enough. You may be hungry one day. You may need clothes one day. But you have enough in the moment you realize you need those things. This is what it means to have peace right now. To stay present in reality, not living in fantasy. And Jesus Christ asks us to do that. My friends, I believe that's possible. I believe we can do that. I believe we can say, "I have enough right now, in this moment, to be here, to be with you, and to love as God is your ability." What better way could we honor our mothers than that? By seeking our heavenly Father in His kingdom. I can think of no better way. Folks, I love you all so much, and I just want you to know. That Jesus Christ loved you more than me. And He chose and says from the foundation of the world that He would die for you to live. The same as my mother I believe did for my wife. Can we but not do the same for others? Would you pray with me? God, I uh, I thank you for the sacrifices people have made for the choices they made that showed that You matter and that love matters and Your kingdom come here on earth even as it is in heaven. And I saw my mother live that out. And I've seen it over and over again. And So God, I thank You for the lives that have been examples to us that showed us that love matters. And when we love, the greatest gift happens and that's hope and strength. Heavenly Father, bless those mothers who are still alive. Thank You for the ones that have gone on before. As if their witness and their memory right now to us would be that we need to love right now. Not wait, but always love and seek You. God, if there's anything else we need to do beyond that, I don't know what it is. But if it's there, Heavenly Father, may we embrace it and all in with our life with You. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.